Hey, Tony. So um, I'm really excited to talk about Scroll Back Saturday. Yeah, it's something that we've talked about it for a while about revisiting some of our favorite podcasts and guests. Yeah, and um, it's it's just a great opportunity to uh, again to revisit those guests as well as on some of our favorite topics that we've done. Yeah, so a lot of times people just get caught up with the current episodes. This way, they get a chance to listen to uh, some of our favorites, <laughs> some 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 pre me and you, right? <laughs> they'll, they'll see how horrible we are and how exactly. <laughs> Don't judge us on Saturdays. How we're not as bad, but still bad. <laughs> so, so silly. All right, man. So so listen, it's Scroll Back Saturday, and uh, I, we hope you enjoy this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting next to my buddy, Tony. What's up, Tony? What's up, brother? Hey, um, I say it every week, but um, I'm excited. I'm excited about our guest. He, uh, he certainly is unique, and he certainly has, um, you know, what, what, what's amazing is as you get older, I think two things happen. I think one, that you're much better aware of self-awareness, one, and I think that our guest today certainly um, has proven um, his self-awareness and, and just how humbling that can be. And two, another thing that happens as you get, you know, certainly in your uh, later 40s, is your perspective gets just in- incredible. And and I think that this guy is a, he proves it, right? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a true innovator. You know what yeah. I mean? He, uh, if you look at his story where, you know, coming from, you know, college, not necessarily a hairdresser, right? Uh-huh. Goes to hairdresser school, uh-huh. uh, actually our alma mater. Our alma mater. Uh, Shout out to Graham Webb in Arlington, Virginia. Right. But going through the struggles as any other hairdresser and then uh, and then finding the way to figuring his way right? oh my goodness to a salon that is uh, uh, you know there was rumors that he you know he's one of the uh, top rated Google salons in the country there's right. uh, he's a uh, there's other things we want to get into. We yeah, don't want yeah. to quite spoil let's not, it. No, no, no. You know? Let's not so, tell the story. I mean, he's right. here. Why don't we just let him tell the story? How's that uh, sound? Yeah. Right. Introduce <laughs> me. Mr. Brian Noons. Welcome to your day well, off. What's up? Thanks for having me. What's uh, up, buddy? How you doing, man? Um, I'm doing good, man. Dude, th- thanks for coming on, man. Um, we're just, we're, we're, we're excited to have you. We, uh, we, we learned about you and, oh, actually I told a story, um, I talked, Tony and I were talking earlier that when we were looking for guests for our, um, for the podcast, we actually reached out to two of our friends and, or we reached out to many people, but two of our friends said, you've got to have Brian Noons on, you've got to have Brian Noons on. So, you know, once two of your friends say you have to do that, I mean, well, here you are, sir. Yeah. So as we were researching, you were like, yeah, you definitely got to have this guy on, even though we felt like we, we were kind of kindred spirits because we kind of know some of the same people worked in a salon together yeah, not right. necessarily together but in a in, in the same salon we, we have very similar paths so certainly early on yeah path. so, so. Yeah. go ahead all right yeah we're in the same fraternity right that's exactly. right yeah i like that so where did you grow up where are you from i was born in uh in the district in washington dc and uh, my dad was in retail so he moved around quite a bit but i spent most of my time around 495 Nice. Know it very well. Yeah. That's cool. So, um, yeah. so like Tony was saying before, so then you went to college. Um, did you go to college in DC? I didn't. Um, you know, I wasn't the best student in the world. So, you know, I uh, ended up going to a, an off branch of the University of Virginia that, um, you know, was gracious enough to accept me. And, uh, you know, I wasted my father's money for a couple of years and blew my knee out. And that was the end of my college career. Oh, no. Like, did, did you go on a yeah. sports scholarship? Uh, no, nah, I mean, I was playing intramural basketball and okay. some dude landed on my leg and uh, 
you know, back then when you tore your ACL, it was like a 13 inch scar and a year recovery, you know, now, now you can have it and win the MVP in the same season. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was different back then. Yeah, no doubt. So, when I got out of college, I, um, well, I said got out when I was encouraged to not go back. <laughs> I, uh, got, got into the Domino's pizza dream and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, started working there and, you know, incurred some young person debt and, uh, you know, my choices were becoming more and more limited, the more and more in debt I got. So, uh, I had some buddies that, um, where I went to school that they, they were Redskin fans, much like many of us who are from around the beltway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't admit, we don't admit to it much these days, but I mean, we were, and, uh, and they were, and they were hairdressers. So, you know, they lived a good life and they, they seemed to play golf a lot and had a lot of women around them. And so I thought hairdressing would be for me. And ever since I, I've, I've not played much golf, right. a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work, but it, 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 yeah. it's funny how the uh, hair has, it, that story has, has, you know, you hear it all the time. Yeah. You know, you and I, Corey, obviously, uh, you know, we were kind of in that similar boat, right? We had a, a really good friend guy uh, that was a hairdresser that sparked our conversation and uh, it gave us a life. Yeah. I mean, it is pretty crazy, right? Like we didn't have much direction either. And then like, you know, he was doing, a, he was doing really well, making a living and, um, and other things and other curriculars. And then uh, he was hanging Mr. Virginia. That's <laughs> right. And then uh, we were we just both kind of like, uh, we, we, we found it kind of the same way. So uh, before we get think, too much, go ahead, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, I think um, like being a hairdresser, it's a prerequisite to have uh, the comment on your report card from a teacher that says something like, if Brian would apply himself to his studies the way he does to his social life, uh, he, he, w- he would do quite well. You know, he would Absolutely. do much better kind of thing. You know, I don't know if you guys had that on your report cards when you were a little bit, but that was a common theme for me. I, I, I enjoyed socializing, so I'm 100%. lucky to find hair, hairdressing. So not only did you find hairdressing, so uh, tell us about your um, your world travels um, following a band around. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've always been a U2 fan, and... Um, <laughs> How much of a fan are you? Yeah. How many concerts have you been to? Yeah, yeah I mean, I get accused of, of that a lot. 103, I think. 103. And I've got wow. seven seven scheduled over the summer. I'm finally going to see them in Dublin in November. I've never seen them in Ireland. So that, that's going to happen in November. So And no, I've never met them. And I've never, you know, stalked anything like that. I just like... Uh, I like being around 120,000 people who all agree on the same thing. It's pretty magical. Yeah, I mean, they are pretty amazing. They are pretty amazing. I, actually, Brian, I hope when um, I hope when you're in Ireland seeing you too, I hope you uh, get back to your golf game too, because that seems like a two uh, two on one shot. Yeah, you know that you never know. I never, might get on a links course or something and get my money's worth. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? So. so so where will you be at the end of the summer? You at 103 now. That'll be 110. Is that what you said? Something like. I mean, if I, you know, they're going to be in a co- on the East Coast quite a bit, and if I get a weekend off, I will go to Boston or Philly or something like that. But I have seven concerts this this summer that I'm going to, starting in Tulsa, May 3rd, May 2nd. May 2nd. That's pretty cool, man. That's just yeah. That's yeah. Cool. me and me and my daughter, my five year old. She's she will. This will be her fourth U2 show. Ah, whoa! Carry on the tradition, <laughs> Carry on <over>. right? <laughs> you get to 110, yeah. are they around that long? Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, right. You never know <laughs> how old they will be when she gets to that number. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Brian, you told us a little bit about, um, you know, how you found the industry. So, how did you take the next step and actually like commit to the industry? Oh, that's a, you know, when I went to Graham Webb, I think. Well, first I started at um, Potomac Academy, and. Um, you know, the, the education experience there wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, I just sort of instinctively felt like it wasn't for me. So I transferred into Graham Webb and that ended up being, it's amazing how, you know, every decision you've ever made in life has led you right to this moment. So you kind of think about all these little things and uh, ending up at Graham Webb, 
um, you know, the education experience was certainly better, but I wasn't committed to the industry. I mean, to the degree that, you know, I, I would go to school and punch in and I had so many bills to pay that I would leave and go wait tables uh, and then come back at the end of the day and punch out. You know, I, I, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not proud of my experience, but you know, I, I, I made it through and, uh, uh, but I was blessed to be at the right place at the right time one day when a guy, I mean, you guys know him, Danielle Ben Simon came to the school, uh, towards the end of my uh, tenure there Mm -hmm. to speak to the students. And, um, you know, he came in dressed with a suit and tie, and I had been in that world. I was working prior to going to hair school for MCI, a phone company um, mm-hmm. that is now, I think, T-Mobile, I think. But um, and so I, I was used to sort of that business attire. I didn't, I hadn't discovered the hairdresser wardrobe yet, and didn't really feel comfortable at school until Danielle came in, and he, you know, he was wearing a tie and polished shoes, and I'll never forget. He he walked in. Uh, threw his briefcase down, looked around the room and said, uh, look at these mirrors in here. Who's responsible for these mirrors? And he said, you know, in his French Moroccan accent, uh, you all should be ashamed of yourself. Um, and he, he demanded that the mirrors get cleaned before he would talk. And uh, mm-hmm. he left the room and came back. And uh, I, I knew instantly that, that that guy is who I wanted to go work for. I was like, this guy's serious. So. Uh, somebody that I could relate to and not, not that he was a tyrant. He just sort of laid it down. And so I went and interviewed with him and, um, you know, I was really fortunate. Um, he hired me despite me cutting my finger on a blonde lady who I was cutting and, you know, she left with red hair, you know, but, uh, but yeah, he hired me. And from that day forward, um, you know, I sort of found my way. Good job, man. Like, well, she didn't cut her. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> that happened to me. When I, I just got on the floor and uh, I was doing scissor over comb, and uh, the, this guy guy said, "Have you ever cut anybody before?" You know, because I was scissor over comb around the the ear. I said, "Nope, I never clip cut his ear." <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, "This is the one and only time yeah. I ever cut somebody." <laughs> but oh man, it, it just it won't stop bleeding. But yeah, I get it. I think they call that a Freudian slip. You know, right? and that and the ear never stops bleeding. You yeah. know, you comp that one and the next one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll still be bleeding by the next appointment. So <laughs> right, right. You guys talk about the, the influence that you mentioned a moment ago, and the friends that I had that got me in the industry. And, and, and I just think that like, I met the right people. I was exposed to the right people at the right time to keep me focused in moving forward, despite my inability to kind of grow into an adult. It, you know, I was always at risk, man. I mean, I, I remember meeting Gerard Kieran's, um, who, you know, is, one of the best haircutters I've ever known and literally watching him and uh, a guy named David, his mate, like work with their shears. It was just hypnotic to watch them use those instruments. Like I'd never seen that uh, scissors move like that before and the way that they could cut a straight line. And, you know, just the visual of that um, kept me interested. And then, you know, for Danielle to come in and, and it's like these little mentors, if you will, that you meet along the way that, that, that keep you on the path until you start to develop habits where, you know, you can stand on your feet and gain a little bit of momentum. So, uh, you know, Graham Webb, I mean, I make the joke of not attending, but, but Graham Webb really did serve its purpose for me. Sure. Uh, no doubt. For me too. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a whole, there's a whole group of us here in the DC area and beyond. I mean, Graham Webb also has put a lot of people out, but, um, there's a lot of people here in the DC area that that certainly would agree with that, you know. Yeah, a lot of strong hairdressers out there because of Graham Webb. Yeah, there's no doubt, man. Absolutely no doubt. So Brian, so um, so you work for Danielle. How long did you work for Danielle for? About three and a half years, I think. And then what was what was the motivation to move on or to move past or to to whatever? Well. I knew that I was going to be leaving hairdressing for a while. Um, I knew that I was going to do some traveling. I had set a goal um, years before to, 
you know, it was a dream really, but you know, it started to become uh, a reality once I started to develop the disciplines to make it happen of, of doing some extensive traveling. And so I knew that I was going to be leaving. And um, there was a uh, esthetician that worked for Danielle whose brother was opening a salon in Great Falls. And, you know, this is sort of the, the, the sad side of the industry, but the reality of it, um, I think that this guy knew that if I came, a lot of people would follow. And, um, you know, I fell into the trap of leaving for 10% more because I knew I was leaving all altogether anyways. And so I figured at this point, my priority was money. So I made a decision to to jump for 10%. And uh, I was with the other salon for maybe eight or nine more months just to continue socking money away before I left and, and traveled. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was, um, you know, I, I was part of something that I'm not proud of. But, you know, at the same time, most people have to do what's best for them. So Certainly. I mean, that's part of your growth too, right? I mean, even, even to recognize it as a mistake or to not necessarily a mistake, but as to recognize it as um, not your proudest moment, you know, we've all, we've all had those, those proud. Um, those I've had many of those. I know, you know, you're talking to uh talking to the choir here, man. I think we, uh, we yeah. you know, especially when it comes, you know, into this, uh, into this, you know, I think our, our entire industry really, you know, I mean, I think everybody has these moments of, uh, of, less awareness and more ego, you know, cause it all comes down or all kind of boils down to, uh, to, uh, ego checks or lack thereof, you know, when you, uh, when you mm-hmm. make decisions. So you, so you mentioned, you know, you, you went to this other salon for 10% more for how long until you started your travels? Yeah. It was about eight months. I, um, you know, I had developed a discipline years before, uh, you know, shortly after working for Danielle, um, he took another guy that that I used to work with there, a friend of yours named Chris Whitmore, and I to uh, my first industry event where we saw Win Clayball, Gino Stampora, and the guy that started Surface. I can't think of his name right now. Um, Wayne Grund. Wayne Grund. Yeah. They, the three of them were speaking and, uh, I had never seen or heard a motivational speaker before. And so, you know, Gino just sort of blew me away and, uh, I just became on fire then. And then Danielle gave me a tape of a, a speaker named Jim Rohn and the tape is called your money or your life. Um, I'm sorry. No, it's called the art of exceptional living. And that led me to a book called Your Money or Your Life. And um, just this sort of notion of personal development was a whole new world for me. I'd never been exposed to it as a student in, you know, grade school up through high school. College certainly didn't prepare me for personal development. It was all sort of curriculum based stuff. And so this was, a you know, it's it's. There's more books in Barnes and Noble on personal development than anything else now. But at the time, I had never been exposed to that. So um, I learned a lot of great things. But uh, in this book, Your Money or Your Life, I, I learned that when you buy something, you're, you're essentially not spending money on it. You're spending time on it because it takes time to earn money. And because I was in debt at the time, my time was owned by debtors essentially and um the more i developed the discipline what what i did was i started when i went on the floor i took my tips for the day uh and 30 dollars out of my tips which you know doesn't sound like a lot and maybe it wasn't at the time but it was more about developing the habit than anything else i would go to the bank daily on the way to work and just fill out a deposit slip and deposit the 30 dollars into the bank. And then on Fridays, I would put 90 in to make up for the weekends. The weekend that you're and Yeah, yeah, that I wasn't going to, that the banks weren't open. And so, you know, after a short period of time, I had about five or $6,000 in the bank. And all of a sudden, it started to be difficult to spend money. It's like when you get a little bit, when you don't have any, you spend money you don't have, or at least I did. 
And then when you start to get a little bit, it becomes difficult to spend it. And I just got addicted to um, the commitment and benefits or exploring the benefits of owning the most valuable thing you can own. And, and that's your own time. And so, you know, I, I met my wife at Danielle's and um, shared that habit with her. And the the $30 turned into, you know, $1,000 a month, and then it turned into $2,000 a month. And then combined, we were saving $4,000 a month. And then before you know it, we had over 100 grand in the bank at, you know, at 26, 27 years old. Um, And so the dream of traveling around the world was now right in front of me. And so, you know, when I went to work, uh, at the other salon, I was only there for about eight or nine months while I sort of planned this this year long yeah. journey around the globe. Yeah, let's. Um, I mean, I want to get to uh, his globe story, but just to back up a little bit. Well, first of all, Brian, um, do you still put the thirty dollars away in the bank? Is it still a different <laughs> carry? Um, you know, I don't focus on money anymore. You know, I'm at a different place now. Um. Money is, for me, my relationship with money is that it's just a consequence of practice disciplines. You know, I I, I try not to make decisions based on money. Um, you know, sometimes I'll spend more than I want to, like building our website or, or you know, investing in the, the, the app that we created. Um, it's not something that I could justify. But, you know, I don't focus on the money. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't live beyond my means. I never have. And so I've been really fortunate to, um, you know, save a little bit. That's, uh, that's completely fair. And, and what an incredible – two things that I take from that is one is like what an incredible discipline to do, you know, $30 a day. And I know for young hairdressers that um, sometimes $30 a day can be a lot. Um, or certainly can feel like a lot, you know, but, but more so than the $30 is that you're buying $60 of discipline out of that $30 a day. Right. For one. And for two, that's a great way to say it, man. <laughs> thanks man. And for two, the, yeah. uh, just that it's not money, it's time. Like I've never really thought about that, but that is so, so true. You know, like that's that, 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 that literally blew me away. Mind blown. If you saw me, I'd look like a big emoji right now. I wish I knew that. I wish that I, <laughs> I had that discipline at, at 25 years old, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, I, I might have to definitely read that book. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know what, I mean? Or, what an endorsement. And, and um, I mean, that's just, that's just incredible, Brian. Um, thank you for that. So you, uh, you, you sacked away, you know, um, 100K worth of money of, of 100K worth of money, 100K <laughs> in Dallas. And then you decided to take a year long travel with your wife. So uh, let's, uh, where'd you go? What'd you do, man? Tell us about that story. I know, right? I mean, my gosh, uh, you know, it, it's the best thing really that I've ever done with my life. I mean, I, I still draw upon that experience. You know, it, it's still part of um, enriching conversations with guests. And, um, you know, I still get to kind of look back on it. It's. I remember before Sylvia, my wife and I left, you know, we, we asked the question, well, is there a chance we'd regret not doing it or doing it? And ultimately, uh, the, 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 it became clear that there's more of a chance of regretting not doing it than doing it. So, um, But we started in London. We bought this around-the-world ticket. So it turns out, at the time, for $5,000, you could buy airline tickets, unlimited, as long as you traveled in the same direction, meaning east or west. And wow. so you could go north or south, but you had to go east or west until you circled the globe. And so, you know, we booked, you know, we sort of planned this trip out. We ended up hitting 14 countries and uh, we tried to travel on the ground as much as we could so we could experience the transition between cultures. And right. um, we started in London and it was wild. I mean, things like, you know, seeing the reach of the Roman Empire and, you know, getting into um uh, the you know the kurdish people in turkey and being on the on the border of iraq you know now with all that's happened and you know we walked 200 miles through the himalayas in nepal for i don't know how long that took like eight weeks i mean we, we definitely uh we definitely did it but i'll tell you it's it's uh it's like anything else man you 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 
you think it's amazing, but you know, you're living every day on the road and it was amazing, but you get to a point where you become numb to, um, another amazing Vista and, you know, Oh, there's the Sistine chapel. And, you know, I think I had my fill of cherubs and, 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 uh, art when I was in Italy. Um, I think the, 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 the thing that I got from that trip, um, two things. One is that communication only takes two willing people. You don't even have to speak the same language. There, there were so many instances where I ran into just beautiful human beings that didn't speak my language, yet we were able to communicate with each other. Right. And, um, you know, I've used that skill quite a bit as a hairdresser. And then the second thing is that, uh, you know, and it sounds cliche, but you know, it's the, it's the journey. It's the, it's the, the things that happen between A and B, my young hairdressers, you know, they'll, they'll plan these vacations and they pick all these places they want to go. And I tell them, you know, you're over planning this trip because you're not allowing for serendipity, you know, the person you're going to meet at the train station or the opportunity you're going to have to stay one extra night in this B and B because there's a festival or something, you know, like, um, that that experience was amazing those two things i think is what i got most out of it that's incredible advice yeah. right yeah. that's awesome because i mean like you said it's uh you know from a to b you know even though when you make it to b it's it's the journey in between a and b right that you re- reflect on like Corey and i had uh right after uh school one uh we had, we had another buddy and we decided to jump in the car and uh we actually kidnapped our other friend. We were actually <laughs> headed out to downtown and uh, Corey's like, Hey man, we should just uh, head to California. So we're like, Oh yeah. So, you know, uh, long story short, we uh, head out to California. We were well, going, well, long story short. We left three hours later. Yeah. Literally with no plan, uh, no plan gone a month and a half ended up, you know, in Santa Barbara, went down into Mexico and, came back and, and the Southern route. And, you know, we talk about that trip all the time, you know? Still, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it was the journey. You reflect on it and, you know, it, sometimes you just got to do it. I mean, I would argue, I would argue Tony that, um, that that trip that we took together, that, uh, that spontaneous trip to California, um, you know, that's probably why we're sitting here today. You know, that's, it probably secured our friendship and, 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 you know, created a, uh, again, lifelong stories and lifelong bonds. So Brian, that's amazing. So, um, I mean that's just incredible. I'm 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 a little envious. I kind of want to go uh, take five grand and go try to go around the world. For five yeah, right. Yeah, we that's followed cool. the sun, which was kind of cool. So we didn't have to carry a lot of stuff. You know, like when you think about it, uh, when you go below the equator, the seasons are opposite. So it was we lived warm weather for an entire year because we we sort of planned it to be so we wouldn't have to carry so much. You know, you got to think about that stuff when you're carrying your life on your back for a year. Yeah, no doubt. Right. I, so, that's what I tell my clients. I'm like, if I ever hit the lottery, I'm going to follow the sun because I hate there it. You go at four thirty, five o'clock. Yeah, me too. I want it to be light all the time. Yeah. What is it? But one yeah. I think of like Oscar or something, <laughs> isn't it there? Where it's like it's like either dark or light or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> Doesn't sound like fun for more so, than a so you're days. gone for a year, and then yeah, uh, did you keep your skills sharp or? I mean, when you came back, I mean, what was it like the first time you got you with the client a year later? I'll tell you what, man. I, I became a hairdresser, honestly, when I got back. I mean, I, I had a different appreciation for humanity and my own skill, you know, my own job. It, it, you know, it, it taught me empathy. It taught me how lucky I am. Uh, it, 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 caught, it calmed me down. You know, companies like Intel... They they give their employees a sabbatical, like literally every seven years. They're they're they have to take off for I don't know if it's a year, but it's it's I think it's three or four months because um you know it rejuvenates you, it changes your thinking, it gives you the ability and opportunity to get out of habits and your head that you don't even know that you're in, you know, it's a different level of consciousness. So I I really became a better hairdresser or a hairdresser when I got back. Right. I like how he said a hairdresser, right? Like, I I assume, you know, not to speak for him, but you know, he was just kind of going through the motions and then the trip uh, allowed him to, uh, to grow not only as a person, but well, I mean, you can't grow as a 
as a hairdresser without growing as a person, I would imagine. True. I mean, listen, I, I worked at, at Le Shop in Reston Town Center, and that place was, I mean, they, I, we burned through so many walk-ins there, man. I mean, there were so many clients coming through the door of that place. The location was just outrageous that I didn't have an appreciation. I just couldn't have an appreciation for what I was doing for a living because I was just trying to keep my head above water every half hour. Right. You know, it, I didn't, I didn't really learn the craft until I came back and had to build my clientele in a different area and, and, you know, focus on all the intangibles of hairdressing and, you know, learn the craft from, uh, I, I don't even know how to explain it, man. I mean, I, you know, when you're that busy uh, in, a, in a salon that busy, it's hard to focus on anything other than staying on time. Well, it's just a conveyor belt kind of mentality, you know, who's, yeah. new, who's up. Who's yeah. Up? Especially when you come out of hair school, you know, it wasn't like I was experienced. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like your on the job training is um is just burning. Yeah, people. yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of you know it's when we were uh, with Parent Partners in Bethesda, and uh, Sean uh, Shredwick, who was a uh, the East Coast uh, Regional Director for TG, when he joined our our salon, the energy. I mean, you know, it it felt more like a club, you know, <laughs> yeah. but but it was. It's every 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 forty five minutes, you know, every boom, hour. Boom, boom, boom. It was, whether the haircut was done or not it was exhausting <laughs> but it, but it, yeah, was, it was done yeah it's cool energy though that I was know. great energy. I, I like yeah. that energy so uh so you get back and then um so did you go back to virginia when you got back from your uh sabbatical no i knew that i didn't want to live back in dc just too much traffic and i just sort of had this intuition that um i wasn't gonna enjoy my career in that environment, you know, I, I wanted something different. So my wife and I had met a guy when we were in Nepal that lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And so when we got back, um, we had all our stuff in storage. So we just started driving up and down the East coast and, and, uh, checking different places out. You know, we looked at Annapolis and Virginia beach and her parents lived in Rochester at the time. Uh, well, they still do in New York. And, um, my father lived in Atlanta and, um, I'm sorry, in Tampa. And so um, accessibility to those two places were important. And at the time, there was an airline in Raleigh, which is very close to Chapel Hill, called Midway, that flew direct to both destinations. And so that's really how we ended up here. And then the irony is, about a month after we moved down here, Midway went out of business. So, uh, uh, you know, but you know, when you're building your clientele in a new area, you're not flying to meet parents anyways. I mean, it's amazing how you make decisions when you're young, you know? Right. So we give, uh, Midway credit for, uh, for, 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 for many, many Raleigh. So, uh, so you end up and then, uh, and then how did, uh, how did blow salon come, come about? Yeah, how'd you transition into that? Um, you know, like many hairdressers, I worked for an unhealthy salon owner, and um, that forced me into a situation where you know I I needed to change a change of environment. And at the time, there was a guy named Robbie Driver who worked for Davidson Beauty Supply, and um, I met with him because he was the equipment manager and I was looking at locations to open a business. And so he met me at a location one day and, you know, he asked me why I wanted to open a salon and I was green. I really had no idea. And so he said, well, I have a salon where I rent these little studios and you might be interested in something like that. If all you're looking for is to be independent. Uh I had never heard of, renting i didn't even know what renting was because that didn't exist in washington at least to my knowledge and i was still you know only three three years four years into my career and so i went to check out his environment and there were all these sliding glass doors with partitions that separated these maybe 150 square foot studios Right. And I just thought it was the most brilliant concept I had ever heard in my life. And what he did was he would find locations for Davidson Beauty Supply and then rent the location right next door. 
so that the hairdressers that were renting space didn't have to travel to get their supplies. And I believe that's how those studio concepts started. Robbie did that late in his career and uh, he sold out, moved to Wilmington. But, you know, now what I'm talking about is, you know, it's all over the country. I mean, it's 51% of the industry right now. And so my wife and I did that for three years and I went to work for a manufacturer and got just about all I could get out of it. But I had gotten to the point where, you know, I just, the writing was on the wall for me. I, I, I wanted, I was restless. And I wanted to keep growing. And so Sylvie and I asked the question, you know, do we want to buy a townhouse in some class C real estate and put chairs in different rooms and make the the building our future, our investment, and just be landlords? Or do we want to grow people? And, um, you know, ultimately, we made the decision to grow people. So we rented in a class A shopping center and, you know, got really fortunate to get the space. I think you know, I can attribute that to the discipline of saving money because we're in a center that doesn't rent to people who are local. They rent to national chains, but right. because we had so much money in the bank and no debt, they were willing to take a chance on us. And, you know, thank God they did. And that goes all the way back to the, uh, to the $30 a day discipline. Right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Owning your paycheck, not your paycheck owning you. So now here you are. You you open up below. You're growing people, and it's it's much more than that. I mean, you're you're a Naha Award winner. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> L to, L's uh, top one hundred. I mean, your accolades are incredible. I mean, it's not like you just quite impressive. Yeah. yeah. Him and Sel didn't just do it and not do it, right? Yeah, the Global the Salon Business Award. I mean, it's it just the the awards are just you know one after another. I mean, your salon is on fire. Is that? I mean, what is that? Just being laser focused? I mean, I mean, and the, yeah, there's a million salons in the in the country. There's very few that uh, that uh, that have those accolades. Brian, how'd you get there? <laughs> Well, certainly not focusing on them. That's for sure. I mean, <laughs> first key. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. I, I think knowing that, you know, when I first opened the salon, I had this sort of notion that like I wanted to have all of the answers. I, I was sort of addicted to people asking me, Hey, Brian, what do we do? And, uh, um, just knowing the ins and outs, sort of moving at this breakneck speed, but deep down knowing that it wasn't sustainable. And so, you know, you're influenced by your mentors. And, you know, this is one of the benefits of experiencing a negative environment. Um, you know, they say when you fall, it's okay to fall, just make sure you fall forward. And so, you know, some of my experiences as a hairdresser sort of I have to attribute to Blow's success because ultimately I recognize that if you don't provide a path for the people that are making your life possible, a continuous path, then they're going to leave. And and people don't leave salons, they leave people. And so just, you know, making a commitment to learning from my mistakes and, you know, shitting the bed, if you will, and, yeah. and, and, and strapping it on and getting after it again. Uh, right. But, you know, ultimately I attribute it to that commitment to empower people and be committed to personal and professional development of the people next to me, that my success relies on the success of people around me. Yeah. That's one of the uh, things that I was telling Corey uh, that impressed me uh, and drew me into you was when uh, I read that, you know, it's, it's more than just blow or more than just Brian Nunez. You, you totally support empowerment and support your hairdressers. I mean, you're right. You know, your staff, they, uh, you know, you, if, you know, we had this conversation earlier about, you know, if they have an idea, you truly will live and die if you know by that idea you're not gonna you know say this is your fault or this is the reason why or you know what i mean 
it's if it's successful, it's all about me. You truly believe in empowerment. It's pretty great. I I have clients that will come in and you know that have been with me for 17, 18 years and followed me around. And they'll come in and see blow on a day where it's humming. And, you know, they constantly will say, look at what you did. Look at what you did. I, I've always been comfortable with that. I mean, uncom- I'm sorry, uncomfortable with that because it's the people around me. You know, it's, it's, you said it, man. I mean, it's, I am addicted to watching young people exceed and excel beyond their own belief systems beyond their own conditioned beliefs, you know, creating an environment for them where they feel safe to fail, where they admit that sometimes they don't feel like enough and they support one another, where they're not afraid to share an idea because of a reaction of a negative hairdresser or a negative receptionist, you know, being accountable to that environment and non-compromising, if you will, Uh has led to the success of the people in the environment. And the consequence of that is the whole, you know, is is all of the awards and things that you're talking about. Uh, That's what I love about our, not not necessarily our industry, but uh, about hairdressers in our industry that loves our industry like that. You know what I mean? It, there's nothing that, a hairdresser that works for you or one of your staff members, there's nothing that they can't do. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You give them every opportunity to be exactly what they want. Well, because it, I, th- I think it comes down to, um, and I think so, I, I know a few years ago, Brian, that I was mentoring um, a bunch of young hairdressers and, you know, it just came down to um, who believes in them. You know, like I, I think, I don't know whether it's, their, whether it's parents or whether it's whatever, but, if you just show that you care about them, they'll, they'll run through a wall for you or, or that you believe in them. Right. So it, not that, not that you care about them, but that you believe that they can, that they can be successful. You know, it seems um, that they'll run through a wall through. I don't know if, you know, they, people have, oh, you, that, you said it, you know, that's uh yeah. And that you need them, you need them, you need them to contribute beyond production. Mm-hmm. You know, you need their ideas, you need their contribution. You need them to, to be uncomfortable or be comfortable being uncomfortable you know, to stretch themselves. Um, that's, that's, that's it. Cause you're constant. I mean, you know, in an industry that is paid to change people, there's a lot of people in the industry that are afraid of change. And so, you know, it's, it's a discipline just to, to have, you know, I have 40 employees now to, to keep 40 people committed to living outside of their comfort zone is, um, you know, I like the row. It's 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 fun. And forty people. I mean, that's, that's a lot, right? So it's a lot of people. You're in Raleigh here, and you're doing numbers that most salons in big cities aren't doing. You know, you're doing uh, that. When I read, you know, close to three million dollars uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, I mean, how how are you keeping all this organized? I mean, because that's that's you know, a lot of hairdressers, a lot of a lot of money coming in this the the your business to to really to organize. I mean, how are you keeping it all together? You know, what I'm living right now is uh, this sort of, you know, I'll walk around the space and I get almost very antsy trying to find my role because the truth is they do it. They make it happen. And, um, you know, I've made my living ever since I was 16 years old, standing on my feet with my hands. And so it's really scary to be in a situation where, like you say, I mean, I've got women, I have three women at Blow that support their families. They have stay-at-home husbands and, and kids and mortgages and car payments. And, you know, when you sit and think about all of that, um, you know, you ask a great question. It's not me. Uh, if anything, I'm often the weakest link because I never planned to get the $3 million. I never planned to have... 40 hairdressers and 30,000 transactions a year. I mean, it's something that terrifies me. And, and I often, I'm not trained to be in this position. So I'm constantly learning, constantly failing. And I think, I guess if I had to attribute anything to the organization, it's the ability and willingness to be transparent and authentic about learning 
with them, that, that I don't have all the answers and that I need them to stay committed with me so that we can continue to provide what we do for one another rather than walking around there like some big shot. Cause I'm definitely not. But, but um, I'm, I, I didn't mean to start that with a, but tell me, I mean, that that's an incredible, incredible ego awareness. I mean, how do you, how do you keep that ego in check? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you're the one that's signing the checks to, uh, to pay the, to pay the landlord and you're the one that's signing the checks to, you know, pay your, your, your support staff and stuff. I mean, how do you keep that ego out of the way? Um, or how have you learned to keep that ego out of the way? You know, this year I, I met with my staff at the end of the year and I, I, I have told myself a different story now, you know, at this point, I, I have this imaginary woman that interviewed me for this job. And she asked me, what's the most important thing for me to have a long-term investment on purchasing this business? And why are you the candidate? And, you know, I've been in many job interviews where I didn't know the answer, but I knew the answer for this one. So I told her that not only this salon, but all salons, their success depends on two things, their willingness and ability to attract grow and maintain talent and clients. And I essentially have to be accountable to that. that. That's my job within the organization. So I don't look at myself as, you know, signing the paychecks is just part of my job. Right. Uh, if anything, you know, I just feel pressure to maintain that environment. So at the end of the year, that imaginary woman who hired me, uh, when, when she meets me for my performance evaluation, uh, she wants to know what her ROI is, return on investment, and and how uh, how we did with attracting, growing, and maintaining talent and and clients. That's a, uh, I mean, once again, mind blown. What incredible perspective and self awareness that um that you have, Mister Noons. That's that that's pretty incredible. Um, well, you know like many people, the lessons I learn in life cost me a lot of money. And sometimes I don't even learn them that way. You know, I'm a little <laughs> thick headed. And so, um, you know, I, I, I won't say that I don't have ego. I mean, we all have it, you know, um, you know, I like to compete and, and, um, I want to be the best and, and, um, you know, that takes uh, a little bit of ego to do that. Um, and, you know, I've fallen quite a bit along the way. I mean, I had back in 2000 and I think it was 2012, I had seven stylists leave within seven months, six months. So it was about 600000 in revenue leave. And, um, you know, I knew once the first one left, who was going to leave next, how many were going to leave and in what succession. And I predicted it right. And I, I sat there and watched it happen uh, the whole time. I, I didn't have the courage to get rid of them all at the same time, which is what I should have done. I didn't have the courage to acknowledge the elephant in the room prior to that happening to um, influence it. You know, I just sat there and watched it happen. And um, afterwards, you know, like many owners, I was wounded and personalized it. And, you know, Brian, but you know, you, ultimately, what, ahead, what was that elephant? I mean, you said that there was an elephant in the room. What was that elephant? I mean, what 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 do you see was the uh, the motivation for uh, for six or seven staff members to leave? Well, ultimately, it's me. I mean, everything that happens in that environment, I'm responsible for. Ultimately, I mean, sure. every every everything that happens, I have to own, and I think every salon owner. Um, should look at their business that way, regardless of what happens, because any other point of view is just fodder. I mean, it's the narrative, you know, nobody, nobody cares about the narrative. And if you want to change the result, you have to take responsibility for it. So, you know, after I got done feeling sorry for myself, looking at it, I think it, it just simply was my fear of being committed to my vision. And so it allowed clicks to develop and unhealthy habits to develop. And then ultimately, you know, I became the villain and, you know, people left and, you know, those people have, they have their reasons and, 
Um, but ultimately, they have to take themselves with them, and they'll have them, their challenges to face. You know, blow isn't for everybody. Um, but I think ultimately, it was because I didn't have the courage to be unrelenting to my vision and protect the environment. And so cancer developed. And when cancer develops, um, if you don't cut it out, you know, we all know what happens. It just grows. So, so basically, yeah. basically, it was just uh, whatever your uh, the culture that you were trying to build. You just um, you didn't feel like you were as committed to it as you should have been. Is that fair? No, I think, you know, I was I was fearful. I was fearful of of the, the financial ramifications. I'm you know, I'm sure a little bit was I, I wanted to be liked. You know, I mean, um, it could be abandonment issues from childhood. I mean, it could be a lot of things. I think, right. you know, salon owners, a lot of us find our families at salons. You know, we maybe maybe we didn't have the best family when we were younger. So we get connected to these people, man, you know, and, and you know, you, you, you want to believe. And uh, ultimately, uh, you get in your own way. And that's what happened to me. Wow. So, um, so once you address the elephant in the room and then where, where did the growth come from I mean, from 2012 till, till today, what's, uh, what's been going on with blow and how has the culture changed and, 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 and how are you, uh, sharing that empowerment? I had a girl come into the salon about two weeks after the last person left and she had been with me for a long time. Jen is her name. And she knew that I was down. She walked in and she said, Brian, I just want to tell you that I think I know you're going through a tough time, but I believe what happened is the best thing that could have happened for this company. And I'm much happier working here now. And, um, you know, it's all about your perspective, isn't it? Is Instantly, she changed my perspective. And what I realized was from that day forward, I don't give a damn how much money you produce. I don't care how important you are to the business. I'm going to be accountable to the people whose intention I trust. And when I say intention, I mean uh, the intention of why they do what they do. Are they doing it because of their own self-interest? Or are they doing it because they want to be part of something bigger than them? And you know whether they're doing uh, $200 a day in services or you know $1,500 a day in services, if their intention is not aligned with the core values of the company, they'll have an opportunity to be, to be brought into awareness but after that, uh, it's over. And so, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to part ways. And so um, we started that philosophy by empowering the people that were left to choose a leadership team, three people. And so, you know, they voted anonymously and the three leaders were chosen. And so I pulled the three leaders into a room and I said, look, your team has chosen you to be the leaders of this company. And before you get all excited and let your egos get in the way and accept this position, let me tell you what the rule is. You can disagree with one another. You can disagree with me. You can feel like the vision of the company is off track. You can have a lot of opinions. But if you express them in front of the staff, you're out. You can talk about it in the locker room and it's an open door policy and it's open forever. And we'll talk about it at length and you can talk as transparent or as authentic as you want. But if you are not united in front of the team, then it's over for you. And so before you risk your hundred thousand dollars a year, make sure you're willing to accept that one condition. And luckily these were three women of character. And from that day forward, you know, they built what now is the foundation of the company it's our Blossom training program. And ever since then, we've been committed to being successful and accountable to the people we haven't met yet. Boom. Boom. That was incredible, Brian. Now I'm going to run through a wall for you. When, when can I relocate to Raleigh, North Carolina? I need a job. Yeah. You want the keys? <laughs> <laughs> Well, with those, yes, with those three women, I do want the keys. I'll take those, man. I tell you what, man. I mean, they are they are extraordinary human beings, and they and the thing that makes them extraordinary is that they recognize that collectively they're so much stronger than they are individually, and it just takes special human beings uh, with intention. You know, you can have competency. You know, I can I can have trust in you and competency 
till the cows come home. And I say competency, I mean, you know, your craft, doing hair, taking care of your clients, being to work on time, having a good image. I can have all the trust in the world there. But if you're, if I don't trust your intention, we don't have a business. And it's the same with me. I mean, you can, you can trust that I'm good at my job, but if you don't trust my intention as a, as a, as a leader, you're not going to stay. And so, uh, you know, we just try to be transparent and, and, and authentic and talk about that regularly. Yeah. Cause without trust, there's doubt, right? And you don't want to cut, you know, mean? and yeah, and constantly doubt. So. That's very well said without trust, there's doubt. Um, Oh, I feel like we're talking to Vince Lombardi, man. This guy is inspired. <laughs> hey, Brian. So, um, so uh, you get the, you get the salon on track and everything's going great. And then um, because you didn't have enough time on your hands, you decided to come up with an app. You want to talk about that a little bit? We had an issue here. Uh, you know, it was a good problem where we had a lot of walk-in traffic and I was behind the chair quite a bit. And, you know, dealing with young hairdressers that are uh, taking new clients, building relationships with new chemical clients, new color clients, they tend to kind of take on more than they're capable of. And so when the expectations of the guest aren't met, uh, then we have to worry about redos. And then we have to worry about taking time away from busy hairdressers' books, worry about compensation, how we're going to handle compensation. Um, you know, it, it creates a morale issue. It creates a negative um, a social media presence and, and review presence. Uh -huh. um, and then, you know, you've got, we had an issue with receptionists who were responsible for booking services, chemical services of people that they've never seen and they're not hairdressers. And so, you know, our digital reputation was taking its toll and I just got fed up and, and demanded from that point forward that every client have a consultation prior to getting a chemical service. And that worked for a little while, but it created an obstacle for the consumer, particularly as the reputation of the salon started to grow outside of a, a reasonable radius to uh, expect someone to come in for a consultation prior to their appointment being booked. And so um, one day, this woman from Fayetteville, about an hour away, uh, she told the receptionist she understood why she needed to come in for a consultation, but um, she had kids and she couldn't do it. And she wondered if there was a different option. So I asked her to send me specific images based on uh, what she was looking for with color and then an inspiration photo and a description. And then I would place her with a hairdresser based on receiving that. And she did. And it turns out that it was way more complicated than a level one could handle at Glow. And so I put her with a level three and she's still a client of the company. And from that point, the idea was born, um, SnapSniff. So essentially it's a, it's a, an app that gathers the client's existing canvas through images and their desired result, along with a description of what they like about that desired result. And it sends that information instantly through text messaging or SMS technology to the relevant party. And so instantly that message will go, if the client requested a hairdresser, it'll go right to that hairdresser. Or if they just requested blow, it'll go to five people on the master design team and they can do what's called assess or determine what services that client needs to be booked for from anywhere, from a stoplight, from the moon, from anywhere. And then they select those services from a drop-down menu, hit send, and it instantly goes to the front desk computer where our guest services then takes that information, calls the guest, and books the appointment based on what the stylist says needs to be done, not what the client thinks needs to be done or what the receptionist thinks needs to be done. Right, so with that, with that master team, are they, are they assessing like um, even like like if it's a balayage and, and a younger hairdresser can do it, is that master, uh, is that master group um, assessing who can, who can do that service? Exactly. So they determine the services and then the level of stylus that is required for, to do it with the front desk. So, you know, they might say, uh, for example, I'll use your example. So you, she needs a balayage and a, and a toner with a base bump and it's a level three or higher. Or if it's a specific stylist who specializes in that, they'll recommend that stylist 
plus a level three or higher so that they have the receptionist has options. And that way the receptionist knows that they can't book that client with anything but a level three or higher. Right. And the result is retention. You know, our retention through SnapSniff is 82%. Eight out of 10 people who concern, consume color services through SnapSniff continue at blow, meaning three services within 20 weeks. Um, our retention rate outside of SnapSniff is 31%. And isn't the national average like, I don't know, like 22% or something? Yeah, I think it's a little bit lower than that. Yeah, lower than 30%, certainly. Wow. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you ask the hairdressers what the core value is of SnapSniff, it's the preparation. You know, gone are the day, at blow, gone are the days of having a busy book and uh, a name that you don't recognize on your book, book for two hours a time. Um, they come in the door. You recognize that you don't have enough time to do the service they need. You're mad at the receptionist now. You know, th that just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, we don't do consultations hardly ever anymore, free consultations. In fact, um, the first year before SnapSnip, we did 24,000 clients and we did 1,100 free 15-minute consultations. Now, you monetize that, you know, whatever your 15 minutes is worth. That's a lot of time you're giving away. Last year, we did 29,000 transactions and did 240 free 15-minute consultations. And so, you know, just from a monetary standpoint of freeing up free consultations, um, SnapSnip has definitely impacted Blow in a positive way. That's amazing. So, if, so, if, so if I'm a hair salon, how do I? Oh, well, there's a question. Is it is it is it set up for more hair salons, or is it or is well, there space for? Well, I mean, there's that question, right? <laughs> or is there a space for yeah. uh, for independent hairdressers? It's available to both. Actually, we have two different models. You know, in in my, um, I've always had a high tolerance for risk, and so you know, I I just sort of felt like this is a problem for every hair salon, essentially. I mean, you know, you've got a salon owner behind the chair who doesn't really know what's happening to all these new clients. And so SnapSnip really is an intent to purchase. It gives you the opportunity to follow up. It shows you what type of hair is being requested at your salon so that you can structure customized training. And so there's just so many benefits that we did make it available to the public. And, um, awesome. you know, I can, I can give a shameless plug here if you want. Yeah. It's, um, snapsnipapp.com. So S N A P S N A P S N I P A P P.com. And you can sign up for a free trial and, um, you know, even I'll even help you launch it in your salon and, and, and help you introduce it to your team. That's incredible. So it is, is it only available at the website or is it also in the, uh, like the iTunes store? It's not an app that you down. So, so we okay. do have a, an app on the, uh, that will be on the iTunes store, but we haven't launched it yet. So we had a, a, a decision to make whether to go after the end user, the client, which is what you would do when you launch it on the iTunes store or right. go after salons. And so we, we felt like we had to demonstrate the core value first within the industry before the consumer would understand what it is. And so essentially, when you sign up, you're given a web address that's customized to your salon, and you put it on its basic coding, and you basically put it on your, uh, your salon's website and name it new guests or free consultation or whatever. And uh, the client clicks it from a mobile device. The process takes about two minutes and uh, you submit your what we call snap. And then, you know, the, the turnaround time for us, the average is eight minutes. And wow. so if any if any of your people want to try it out, they can go to justblow.com, J-U-S-T-B-L-O.com and click on new guest from a mobile device and just create a snap and just make sure in the description you say you're just testing the app. So that a receptionist doesn't call you and try to book your appointment. <laughs> yeah, but but it'll give you an idea of what the consumer, what their process is. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so, that's, that's, so uh, it's pretty cool, man. It really is. I mean, it's 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 an amazing. I can't believe we built it. Really, <laughs> it's really amazing. <laughs> that's great. I say that with great humility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell your receptionist you might get a picture of a of a of a overly bearded fella coming soon. There you go. 
Yeah, there you go. Send me a picture of your dog or something like that. <laughs> that there's an idea, right? Well, at least you know. Yeah. Right? Phone call back. <laughs> phone call back. Yeah, then then I'll know it's not a real snap. <laughs> uh, Brian, dude, I I, I am just. In absolute awe. I mean, I uh, I respect you as a man. I respect you as a salon owner. Um, I respect you. Um, well, I, I I thank you for being in our industry and and, and changing it the best way that you see forward. Um, I'm just uh pretty blown away by you, sir. I uh, very happy that uh, that you were able to make it today. And um, uh, it's a privilege. I, I really appreciate the uh, the opportunity. And um, you know, I, I'm 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 uh, honored to talk with you guys. So. Uh, the respect goes both ways. It's a mutual admiration society. <laughs> Brian, thank you very much. I mean, I guess to make it official, Brian Noons, thank you very much for joining us on your day off. Please do me hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um that's cool. I think you can find... Actually, you can. You can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs> <laughs>